His name is worthy to be glorified and praised, isn't it? Yeah, he's alone the one true God. What a privilege it is to worship our King together here in this place. What a privilege. I ask you to please open your Bibles to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and if you're using the Pew Bible provided there for you, it's on page 766. I invite you to follow along so that you can see the words of God yourself. <clears throat> John chapter 17, and, and today we're going to have just a two-part series, this week and next week. And the reason we're having this just quick little mini-series is to get us ready for our new small group season. So next week we're going to have three weeks, three consecutive weeks, starting on September 1st. We're going to provide an opportunity for you to join our groups and our different Bible studies and things going on. But, but what we want you to do and prepare you is to kind of get a vision for what God has for living in community. And so for the next two weeks we're going to be talking about supernatural community supernatural community. And today actually marks the end of a, of a season in our, our church over the summer where we've been spending 21 days fasting and praying. And, and we've been encouraging each other to fast, to feast. And so we've been, some of us have been fasting from meals and other different types of entertainment and things so that we could pursue and, and really follow hard after God together. And I want to encourage you all and just say thank you so much for coming out to our corporate prayer gatherings. I know many of you have been praying on your own individually and your families uh, and also in our corporate gatherings several Sundays ago. We had a great turnout. We prayed together. We sought the face of the Lord. This past Wednesday we, we gathered again together. We had about two dozen people come forward and obey uh, what we heard last Sunday from Pastor Phil in James chapter 5. If any of you are sick or, or just mentally worn down, emotionally worn down, come and ask for the elders and anoint you with oil and pray. And we got to see people come forward. And, 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 and I'm so encouraged to see that we're trusting in God. Does God answer prayer? I believe he does. I was talking with a brother this morning and, and he was just rejoicing that God answered his prayer to bring his estranged, uh, his estranged son back to him. And, and they got to have lunch together this week, a meal together, an estranged son. Do you care about any estranged kids that you'd want to connect with again? That's an answer to prayer. We've been praying for that, that brother for, for months, if not years. God, please restore that relationship. And God did it. God answered that prayer. So today we're going to actually be looking at Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer for us. And in John chapter 17, 20 to 26, we see Jesus' dying wish for us. Think about it for a moment. If you only had hours, days, maybe a couple of weeks to live, what would be your dying wish? If you had all your family around, wife or husband, maybe parents or children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, closest friends, whoever that may be, the circle of influence that is closest to you, and you knew you were about to die, what would be your dying wish to them? The thing that was the top most important priority of your heart and life that you'd want to share with them to see it happen. And if you were in that moment about to pray and they were there to listen in on you pray, what would they hear you ask for, ask God for, for them? What would be your dying wish? Makes you wonder, right? What would you want to tell them? What would you pray for? In John chapter 17, we see Jesus on the cusp of, of dying. This is final moments with his friends, the disciples. And they're enjoying this final Passover meal together. And uh, some believe that Jesus was actually on the way from that room where they shared that meal together, on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives. So whether they're on their way or maybe that they're still in that room, Jesus is speaking with his disciples and he's sharing with them many different things. And a lot of these things are kind of confusing to them. They don't quite understand. What do you mean you're going away, Lord? And then finally he gets to this point where he prays. And they get to hear the intimate conversation of the Son of God with His Heavenly Father. And we get to hear what His dying wish is. Now John 17 is amazing. And 
And frankly, I, I'm a bit intimidated by it because it's one of the most doctrinally, theologically rich and deep passages in all the scriptures. I mean, think about it. We've got God the Son talking to God the Father about stuff between them, right? And um, makes my prayers seem pretty puny. <laughs> but we're going to look at Jesus' prayer here. Before we dive into the text, why don't we bow in a word of prayer and ask for God's help to understand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we look to you now. I thank you that we've been able to glorify your name with our songs and our voices and our prayers and our giving and uh, maybe even just a handshake and a hug here this morning with our, our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and Father, the worship hasn't ended. It's still going on right now. We want to hear from you. We want to understand your word. Uh, we're asking, would you open blind eyes and and deaf ears and mute mouths and cold hearts and minds that we'd understand the truth of the scriptures. We really want to know. So please open our eyes that we'd behold wonderful things and glorious things out of your word. Uh, we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So this series is Supernatural Community. And the first part of this, this community that we want to understand, Supernatural Community, is we want to understand Jesus' dying wish for us. What was his desire for us? And, and, and I, what I hope to do is kind of help us understand why do we do small groups? Is it really that big of a deal? You know, I mean, we could come up with new strategies and new programs, the elder board and the staff and deacons, and we could think about what are some new ways to help people, you know, in their journey with Jesus here. And, and one of those vehicles that we have is small groups. And there's really nothing all that awesome about it. I mean, what's What's awesome about saying this group is small? Well, what an achievement. <laughs> Great, right? So there's anything necessarily in the name or the strategy or the program that's really all that dynamic. But as we look at this text today, we're going to see Jesus' heart for us. And I would invite you to really consider, am I experiencing the kind of supernatural community that Jesus prayed for? So let's take a look at John 17. We're going to begin in verse 1, but we're going to really focus on verses 20 to 26. But I'd like for you to see and, and allow us to hear all of Jesus' prayer. So Jesus has been talking with his disciples, and he begins in John 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified. Let's pause there for a moment. 
Up to this point, Jesus has been praying, and, and really he's asked for two things. This is his, remember, his dying wish. It's his last prayer with his disciples for them to hear. He says two things. First of all, Father, glorify me. Glorify me. Now, it would be wrong if we prayed for that. We're not the Son of God. It's fully appropriate to say, Father, glorify me. And, and this isn't just a man that's talking. This is the God-man who's talking. And he's saying, Father, I've existed with you before the creation of the world. You see, Jesus in his humanity, he, he began in the womb of his mother Mary. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. But he's not merely a man. He's the God-man. And he's talking now as the Son of God and saying, Hey, Father, I had this glory with you and I set it aside so that I could come down here to earth and I've completed everything you asked me to do. He already had it in his mind. He knew he was going to obey all the way to the cross. And he says, now glorify me. I want to return to that place in your presence in full glory with you. That's his first request. His second request is this. He says, these disciples, these friends of mine that I'm with, make them one. Make them one and protect them in the name. Keep them loyal to the name that they've sworn allegiance to. My name, the name that you gave me. Protect them. Don't let them get picked off by the evil one. Keep them one and protect them. So he's prayed for himself. He's prayed for his disciples. Really tender, intimate stuff that we see between the Father and the Son. As the disciples here, I can imagine them just be in awe of this prayer for them to the Father. But he doesn't stop there. He continues on. Let's take a look at verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples in the room. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. We, we believe the message of the apostles that were in that room and, and we have it delivered to us through the scriptures and through the faithful witness of the church for two millennia. We believe that message and, and now we get a, a glimpse that Jesus in his final moments, his dying wish, he had you and he had me on his mind. He prays for us. He's praying for us. And verse 21 goes on to say that all of them, meaning you and me and all who are in Christ all over the globe, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me verse 24 father I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world righteous father though the world does not know you I know you and they, they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What a profound prayer. And I'll, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm not sure that I've read any commentator or heard anybody that can really adequately get to the depths of what Jesus is praying for here. He's talking about his people, those who would believe in the testimony of the apostles, that they would be one, and that, that we'd be in them, and them in us, and, and, and the Father's in us, and we're in the Son, and, and the Son's in us, and it's amazing stuff, but we're going to attempt to take a look at it here today and believe the prayer of Jesus himself. You see, more than anything, in his dying wish, Jesus desires that we we, as he prays for in John 17, 20, we, those who believe in the message, that we would be one. Knowing he was about to die, Jesus prayed that we would live as a supernatural community. A supernatural community. What, is, what does the word supernatural mean? Well, uh, I take this from Jamie Dunlop, Mark Dever, in a book called The Compelling Community. This is how they define supernatural. It's God working 
God working in space and time to do what confounds the natural laws of our world. God doing in space and time, meaning our world, as we see it every day, doing in space and time what confounds the natural laws of our world. So you imagine Jesus showing up on the scene in, in Galilee and he's on a boat. Galilee's stormy and everything's going on in the wind and the waves and, and the sea and the apostles, they're afraid that, that the, the boat is going to sink and they're all going to die. And here comes this God man onto the top of the boat and all he says is peace be still and everything calms down. Supernatural. Supernatural. I, I dare you to try it this winter when it's really windy and stormy. Go out and say, peace be still. It ain't going to happen. This is supernatural. This is so supernatural in the, in the sense that when the Israelites are there up against the shore of the Red Sea and the Egyptians are right behind them and they feel they're about ready to get wiped out by the Egyptian army, God sends a wind that parts the Red Sea and, and the Israelites walk on dry ground and then the sea collapses on the Egyptians and destroys the entire army without Israel having to fight one, one soldier. Supernatural. Supernatural. And what Jesus is saying is, is I want them to be one. Not in the sense of community like the world has to offer. You see, the, the world is trying to create community in all kinds of ways, whether it's around a, a sports team, or, or it's around a hobby, or it's around a special interest, or, or a political cause, or, or maybe it's even just in your local bar, right? Remember the TV show Cheers? What was the great line from Cheers in the song? Where everybody knows your name. Community. We crave it. We crave it deep down with inside of us. We want a place where, where somebody knows our name. But Jesus isn't just talking about the kind of community that the world can conjure up. This is a supernatural community. It's the kind of community where you look at it and you see it and there's something going on in it, something so compelling that you say the only explanation about how these people get together and do what they do and the experience that they have and the effects that they have in the world, the only explanation is God. God is in their midst. This is a supernatural community. And so from John 17, 20 to 26, we're going to see three things about this supernatural community. Three things. If you have notes... Pull out those notes. Grab out a pen. Pull out a pen. Ushers, uh, I forgot to do this in the first service too. Raise your hand if you don't have the notes. Uh, our ushers, I know they've already sat down, but they're very willing to make sure you get those. I just want you to be able to see from the scriptures and we can uh, chew on this together the next couple of weeks for our small groups. But supernatural community. Three things about the supernatural community. The first one, we're going to look at the source of our community. The source of supernatural community. Secondly, we're going to see the experience of the supernatural community. And thirdly, we're going to see the effects of our community. The source of our community, the experience, and then the effects of our community. Let's take a look at the first one. The source of our community. The source of our community. Take a look again at John chapter 17, verse 21. It says... Father, that all of them, meaning us, believers, may be one. That's the community. But here's how this community is compared. He says that they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. That's amazing. The, what we're seeing here is that there's this amazing community that exists even before we get together. There's a community that has existed for eternity past. One God revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Distinct, yet so one in relationship. So one in purpose. So one in love and affection and admiration. And so one in mission together. That they're one. The Father is in the Son. And the Son is in the Father. I don't exactly know how this all works, but it's true. John chapter 14, verse 8 through 11, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and, and this is actually just probably minutes or hours right before this prayer we see in John 17. And, and Philip's talking, and he's like, all right, Lord, just get to the bottom line. He says in John 14, 8, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. You've been talking about him. Show him to us, and that will be enough for us. 
We want to see God. We want to see the Father. Listen to Jesus' response. Jesus answered in verse 9, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. And that the, uh, uh, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, Philip, if you want to see the Father, look at me. Now, he's not saying I am the Father, two distinct persons, but everything that you want to know about God is found in Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. Fully God. When Jesus is walking around on the planet, we have God in our midst. Some of you have been looking for God. You're saying, you know what? I, God, if you would just show up in like a lightning storm, or if you would just show up in some amazing dream or vision, or you know what? God, just show yourself like, you know what? My, my, my father, you know, has cancer. Heal him, and then I'll believe you. Do something amazing. God's saying, what more do I have to do? I can't do any better than my son. He represents me perfectly. Everything you want to know about me, you will find in my Son. The Son is, is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son. D.A. Carson, a great uh, biblical scholar and theologian, he, he comments on this. He says, the Father is actually in the Son. So much so that we can be told that it is the Father who is performing the Son's works. Yet the Son is in the Father, not only in dependence upon Him and obedience to Him, but His agent in creation and His holy concurring Son in the redemption and preservation that the Father has given to Him. You see, it was the Father who created, but it was the Son in the Father who was also creating. Amazing, amazing. The Father and the Son are distinguishable. They're, they're two people, separate persons, yet they're one. They're one. I'm not God and neither are you, so I don't fully grasp all that this means. But we do know this, that the Father and the Son are distinguishable, yet they're one. They're one. They're one in love for each other. They're, they're one in mission. They're one in working in each other and in fellowship and participation and, and sweet union with each other. They are the very first supernatural community. And so the source of our community is that the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. John 1.14 says, uh, excuse me, it's a little too far ahead. I've got to get my pages right. We'll get to John 1.14 in a moment. But the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. This is, this is the source of our supernatural community. But Jesus goes on and in verse 21 he says, uh, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be, that meaning you and me who are in Christ, may they also be in us. May they be in us. I mean, it was hard enough to understand how the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son, but now he's saying, Father, let them be in us, meaning let them be in me, the Son, and in me, the and you, the Father. You see, secondly, the second thing about this source of our community is that we are in them and they are in us. And because of that, we become one. We're one because the Father and the Son, though distinct, are one. We are one because we're in them. And even though we're still distinct from each other, somehow, some way, our union is so, so deep, friend. If you are in Christ and the person sitting next to you is in Christ or sitting across the room is in Christ or sitting in a church on the other side of the country is in Christ or on the other side of the globe is in Christ, you may not have ever met them before. But because we get our source of community from the Father and the Son and we're in them, we're one. We are one. The source of our community John 14, 19 to 20 says this. Before the long, Jesus speaking, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. 
He's already looking forward to his resurrection. On that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Th this union to Jesus Christ, I, Paul talks about it, he says, I'm in Christ. He says, the life I live, I, I, I no longer live, but it's Christ in me, and the life I live, I, I live in honor of the Savior who died and gave his life for me. Paul understood it years later, but Jesus is saying, I'm in you. You're in me. Our identity, once we become in Christ, is Jesus himself. And when our identity becomes Christ, we become one together. 1 John 5.20 1 John 5.20 says, We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true that being God the Father. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. When we're in Jesus, we're in the Father and we know Him. That's why He told, Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ, He is the true God and eternal life. Friends, this is amazing. This is amazing. But union with Jesus. And, and Jesus, all he said was repent and believe the good news. That's a simple. I, you may be thinking to yourself, how in the world could I ever get into the, this amazing supernatural union between God the Father, God the Son, and his people? I, how, it's simple. You, you, you come through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We get joined to Jesus we turn from our sin and we say, I call upon him for forgiveness and I give him my loyalty. I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. And, and at that moment, you become united to him. And through that, you become united to the Father. And through that, we become united to one another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German pastor during, the, during World War II who opposed the Nazis, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and Life Together writes, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize it's not something we're trying to achieve. Rather, it's a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promises of all our fellowship is in Jesus Christ alone, the more serenely we shall think of our fellowship and pray for it and hope for it. That has to be the first recognition in our minds. Community doesn't happen when I sign up for a small group. Community doesn't happen just by merely sitting in rows here today. Community doesn't happen over cookies and coffee. Community happens first and foremost because God the Father, God the Son are in perfect harmony and they bring us into that relationship with Him. That is the source of our unity together. It's powerful, it's deep, it's supernatural. Supernatural community first, the source of our community is in the Father and the Son, them, and they're in us. And through that, we become one. The second thing about uh, this community is, is not just the source, but the experience. So what's the experience of this community? That's number two, the experience of our community. Take a look at verses 22 and, and 24 of John 17 again. Jesus' prayer, he says, I've given them meaning disciples and those who would believe in, 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 their, in his name through them, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. This unity, this community has to do with glory. And it says that glory that the Father gave to the Son, he's given to us. Verse 24 says, Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. He's going back to saying, I'm going to be in heaven and all. I'm going to be clothed in splendor and glory once again. Where I'm, I'm going to be there and I want them to experience that. To be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So the first experience of our community is that we see God's glory in Jesus. We see God's glory in Jesus. What, what is glory? I mean, what is that? Right? It's glory. What, what does that mean? You could talk about a beautiful waterfall at Yosemite. Uh, you could talk about a beautiful touchdown pass. I mean, it's glory all the time in all kinds of weird ways, right? 
Well, I, I think here glory it really does mean to be clothed in splendor, to actually just be enrobed in just this beauty and brightness and, and splendor and majesty. And so Jesus is saying, Father, let me be clothed in that once again like I used to be. I, I took it off so that I could add human flesh to myself and accomplish the work you gave me to do, but I'm ready to put on that robe once again. Clothe me in your splendor. And, and, and what Jesus has done, Jesus has come to reveal the glory of the Father in himself. We could see the glory of the Father in Jesus. And, and he was restored to his glory at his exaltation when Jesus ascended back to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. And one day, friend, for those of us that are in Christ, one day we will see the full splendor of his glory. We will see it with our own eyes. We will see it one day. So the experience of this community is that we see God's glory in Jesus. Now we'll get to John 1.14. It says this, The Word, speaking of Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, one of the big missions of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, was that He was going to come to sinful people and reveal the glory of God to us. We don't have any right being able to see God clothed in his splendor because of our sin, our guilt, our shame, everything that separates us from God's glory because of our rebellion against him. But Jesus says, I've come so that you could see that glory once again. He's come to reveal the glory. That's the glory that he's given to us. We get to see God's glory when by faith we look upon Jesus Christ. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's the Apostle Paul going all the way back to Genesis 1. When God created the heavens and the earth, everything was dark. And what did God say? Let there be light. That same powerful voice, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, God said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light to shine where? In our hearts. In our hearts. To give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Friend, if you are in Christ, God's glory in Jesus Christ is being revealed in you, in your heart, and in my heart. And one of the great experiences of this supernatural community is that when we get out of these rows and we start sitting in circles, we look each other in the eyes, face to face, under the authority of God's word, and we care for each other. We pray for each other. We encourage each other. We rebuke each other. We remind each other, don't give up. Keep believing. We see glimmers of glory of Jesus in you and in me and in each other. And it's an awesome experience. An awesome experience. This is the experience of the supernatural community. This can't be experienced anywhere else on the planet. We're called God's household. We're called His temple. We're called His dwelling place. And when we're alone only by ourselves, and we're going to scatter here in a few moments, and we're going to go, and we're going to be on commission to go tell everybody about this glory that we've experienced in Jesus. But when we come together, there's something glorious and amazing and special, and we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in each other. I've given them glory, Jesus prays, that they may be one. I want my dying wishes that they experience this supernatural community. Well, not only is this experience that we get to see God's glory in Jesus, but we also get wrapped up in the middle of God's love. We get wrapped up in the middle of God's love in this supernatural community. Look at John 17, 23. It says, I am in them, and you, Father, in me. This is Jesus praying, of course. So that so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and listen to this, and that you have loved them, even, uh, excuse me, even as you loved me. Did you hear what Jesus just said? I want them to experience complete unity so that the world would see that you, Father, have loved them, meaning us, as you have loved me, Jesus is saying. 
Jesus is praying that we would experience the same love that the Father has for the Son. I don't know how to move on from that. To think that we would be the objects of God's love the way He loves His Son, that's amazing to me. And I almost feel like that doesn't sound like right theology, right? But it's there in the text. It's there. What do we do about this? What do we think about? This is amazing, friends. It's amazing to think that that you who are so unworthy and me who's so unworthy who raised a fist to God in sin and rebellion, who were once enemies are now called a friend of God as we sang this morning. And it's not just some kind of love that's like, well, I've got love for my son and then I've got, you know, some scraps of love left over for you, mankind. He says, no, that same love I have for my son, I'm offering it to you. That's what we experience in this supernatural community. The intense love of the Trinity for one another is extended to you. It's like the Father and the Son for all of eternity have had this microwave type of amazing love and intense love and fellowship with each other. And, and we were cast out of that because of our sin, but yet because of Jesus Christ and the supernatural community that we're brought into, we're brought into the middle of this amazing love of the Trinity. Amazing. Who are we to deserve such things? I scratch my head and I wonder, how is, can this be? How can this be? And Jesus says, I want them to be one so that the world would see the love that you have for them is the same as the love you have for me. That's what happens when we're together. We experience love like nothing else this world can offer. The kind of love the world has to offer is conditional. It's based on beauty or, or, or wealth or, or what can you do for me? We can't do anything for God. This love that we experience in this supernatural community, it's unconditional. It never goes away. It's immense. It covers up all of our sins. It gives us eternal hope. It gives us eternal life. It'll never run out. God never gets tired of loving you because he never gets tired of loving his son. That's what we experience together in the supernatural community. I experience it from you. You experience it from me. That's what I've experienced in my, in my own small group, being with a group of people and experiencing a, a supernatural, a different kind of love that the world never has to offer. I was with a brother yesterday, and we were at a luncheon, and, and he was just sharing with me. I could just tell, like, the Lord just was refreshing his heart. And a few weeks ago, I had talked to him, and he was just downcast. I said, well, what's the difference today? I said, is the job circumstance different? He goes, oh, no, no, no. The job still is just as difficult. You know, my coworkers, it's just, it's still as filthy of a work environment and a uh, sinful of a work environment as it was a few weeks ago. But I'll tell you what's refreshed my soul. I've been spending time in my group this morning with the saints. They've refreshed my soul. They've reminded me of the love of God and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. His countenance was different. There isn't anything in this world that can do that for a person like the community, the supernatural community of Jesus Christ. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, Jesus speaking, so I have loved you. Now we're seeing that Jesus has love for us just like the Father has. It's not just that the Father loves us like he loves his Son, but Jesus also loves us just as the Father loves us. Amazing. 1 John 3, 1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That's what we are. See, behold, look at this. When we're in together in community, we get to observe and see and enjoy and soak in and bask in it and rest in it, the lavish love of God. Some of you I know well, I've seen, you, we, we go, me, I do it too, we go through seasons, we go through ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And so often those valleys can be attributed to the fact that we've been out of this supernatural community too long. Some of you have been trying to be an effective follower of Jesus outside of this supernatural community, outside of seeing this experience of God's glory in each and every single one of us, outside of the experience of God's love for you and for me together in community. And after a while, I get wore out and I get tired 
coming here together to gather in this place in rows and in groups when we get into circles, all of a sudden, my whole outlook has changed. I'm reminded of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. I'm reminded of his great love for you and his great love for me. D.A. Carson writes about this. The thought is breathtakingly extravagant. Christians themselves have been caught up into the love of the Father for the Son, secure and content and fulfilled because they are loved by the Almighty Himself with the very same love He reserves for His Son. Extravagant, breathtakingly extravagant to be in the middle of this divine love relationship. The purpose of our community is, and our oneness is so that we could behold the glory and love of God in ways we never could experience apart from one another. This is Jesus' dying wish. He wants us to experience His glory and His love. And we aren't together because we have everything in common or just because we like each other a lot. There's some of you that I have a lot in common. There's some of you I have almost nothing in common according to this world's standards. But what we have in common is that we're the objects of God's love and together we're beholding his glory. Jamie Dunlop writes in, uh, in his book, uh, Compelling Community, he says, Our new society of the church is not a mutual admiration society, meaning we like to get together because, hey, I like how you, how you smell and, and you think I'm pretty cool too, and we just like to hang out with each other because we really like each other, right? We've got a lot in common. We like to go fishing together or go to the movies together, and we just like hanging out together. That's not what... Is. Although that may be experience, that's not what it fundamentally is. Our new society, the church, is not a mutual admiration society, but a shared admiration society. We may not have anything in common except this. I adore, I admire, I love Jesus. And I'm the object of his love too. Our affection for each other, it's derivative. It's, it derives from our, our worship of God, a God who saved us from a million different communities of this world to become his family. Our identity no longer stems from our families of origin, our professions, our interests and ambitions, but the fact that we are in Christ, the fact that we are Christians. Our community is so much more than just a place where everybody knows your name. We're one because He knows our names. And we're caught up together in His love, in this beautiful love relationship. This is the experience of the supernatural community, that we're loved by God and together we love Him back. This transcends space. This transcends time. This transcends age, gender, race, economics. We're one in Christ. I love that there's so many in this church that, that I don't have a lot in common with. There, there's a brother in this church. He's sitting over here to your left. His name's Samuel. I love this brother so much. We weren't born in the same town. I don't think we were born in the same decade either. <laughs> we weren't born in the same town. We weren't born in the same state or county. We weren't even born in the same country, not even the same continent. We weren't even born in the same hemisphere. And when I got to meet Samuel, I, I, he came to a men's group, and we were there together, and I, I wasn't sure if there would be a lot in common, and he's from Nigeria. And we got to talking, and sometimes the, the conversation and communication can be a little difficult, but, but as I got to know this man, at first thinking, I, I don't know, I don't have anything in common with him. What we found, what we found is so much deeper than the color of our skin, so much deeper than our our origin, uh, uh, geograph geographical origin, so much deeper than, than our age, so much deeper than, than anything that this world would categorize us in, we found a deep, deep, lasting connection through Jesus Christ. And I love that man dearly. He's a brother. He calls me brother. His kids are like my own kids. He treats my kids like they're his own. We love each other deeply because of Jesus Christ. And there are so many others here that that's true of. I've been in groups. I, you know, I've been in a group with you. You came to my men's group, and I was like, man, I ain't got nothing in common with this dude. He's from Richmond, man. I'm from the wine country or something. What's going on here? And we got to know each other. He's one of my favorite people in this church. This unity that we have in Jesus, it's, it's supernatural. 
Why are they hanging out with each other? What's the explanation? How can you get so many different ages and, and ethnicities and economic backgrounds? How can you get them in a place where they're, they're getting along and loving each other and they're joyful and they've got peace and there's something inexplicable? The explanation is God. He's the explanation. This is the experience of our supernatural community. It's sourced in God, and the experience is that in each other, for those who are in Christ, we experience the glory of God in the face of Jesus through each other, and we experience this intense love that the Father has for the Son, the Son has for the Father. We're brought right into the middle of it, and when we're together, we experience, we experience it. That's what supernatural community is all about. Well, what's the effects? And I'll, I'll finish this briefly. What's the effects of our community? Jesus goes on to say, and this is the third point, the effects of our community. Verse 21 again says of John 17, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that, when you see so that, that's often a purpose or a result statement. So that, what's the result? The world may believe that you have sent me. The world will believe that the Father sent the Son, that He has His source in the, or He comes from the Father. He's from heaven, right? Means that He's divine, that He's God. How will they know that when we're one? So that, so that He, they will believe that you sent me when they're one. Verse 23, again, John 17, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. What's the result of that? then the world will know that you, Father, sent me Jesus and have loved them even as you have loved me. Again, the purpose or one of the results of us being together is that the world would see where Jesus came from. Verse 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you sent me. This is amazing, friends. The effects of us living in this supernatural community is that the world looks on us and they see they see that Jesus is truly God. They see that He is truly God. I don't know how you've been. If you've ever tried to have a theological or evangelistic or any kind of conversation with someone else who's not a believer in, in the one true God in, in Jesus Christ, and you try and convince them, and maybe you win the argument, but they're still not convinced. Friends, there's so many that, that may be intellectually convinced, but you know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for us to live as, as one. They're waiting to see an authentic community. And when that authentic community starts to manifest itself in us, people will see that Jesus is truly God. Well, not only that, they'll see the love of the Father on display. Again, verse 26 of John 17, I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. The world will see the love of the Father on display. You know these verses well, many of you. John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus got done washing his disciples' feet and he tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. How? As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone, that being the world, the watching world on this supernatural community, they will know that you are my disciples, not because you've got a bunch of tracts with good doctrine in it, not because you take the right political stance, not because you're out on a street corner standing on a soapbox. How will they know that we're the, his disciples? If we have love for one another. If we have love for one another. Bill Willits and Andy Stanley in their book, Creating Community, say this, do you see how high the stakes really are? Do you see how high they are? Do you grasp why we can't settle for anything less than, the Jesus, than Jesus' dream, his, his final wish for community? The credibility of the gospel is at stake. As Francis Schaeffer rightly said, our relationship with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. What's the criteria? The Christian community is the final apologetic. Do they really believe it? Do they really live it out? Are they really love each other? That's the ultimate apologetic. That's the ultimate witness, the ultimate testimony to a watching world. That is what God has called the church to be about, creating environments where authentic community can take place, building relational, transforming communities where people are experiencing the oneness with God and oneness with another. Communities 
that are so satisfying, so unique, so compelling that they create thirst in a watching world. These are the effects of the supernatural community. They'd see our love for each other. They know where Jesus came from and they know the love that the Father has for them. That's what we want. We want people to come out of the world and join this supernatural community through Jesus Christ. That's why we do small groups. It, it's not some silver bullet. It's not some magic touch. It's simply a way for us to get together and experience supernatural community. Just hours before his death, Jesus' final prayer reveals his greatest desire for us, that we would be one. This oneness is far deeper than the superficial unity the world offers. We have the privilege of experiencing the deep love God has for us in ways we can never experience alone. The more we pursue this supernatural community, the more we will display the greatness and love of Jesus Christ, our Savior, to the world. What's keeping you from realizing Jesus' dying wish of being in community? Will you step out in faith here in the next few weeks when we start sign-ups for small groups and say, I want to be a part of the supernatural community. I want to experience it. I want to know what it's like to be in oneness just like the Father is one with the Son. I want to know, I want to see God's glory on display in the lives of other followers of Jesus. I want to receive His love through this supernatural community and I certainly want to see, a, I want a watching world to see this love on display so that they could come and be a part of this community as well. That's what's at stake, friends. That's what I invite you to chew on the next couple of weeks. What are the steps that God has for you to be a part of this supernatural community as we pursue Christ together. One way we can enjoy this community and the experience that we have is that we get to remember the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection every time we take the Lord's Supper together. And we're about to do that right now. And so I invite you to start to prepare your hearts. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And, and we're going to receive the, the Lord's Supper right now. And as we do, we're going to circle up. And we're going to enjoy the supernatural community the glory and love of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for what Jesus has given to us. He's given to us more than we could ever return to him. To think that we get to be a part of this amazing, divine, eternal relationship that you have with your son, that by your grace you've brought us in, is just amazing to me. It's amazing to us. I think there, there isn't any criteria on the planet to get into this community than to come in Christ. I thank you for our brothers and sisters who are here today that, that don't look anything like me and I don't look anything like them. Why in the world would we be in this room together? It's all because of Jesus. Would you bring us together? Bond us together. Even as these days of transition come soon, Father, bond us together here in these corporate gatherings. Bond us together as we gather in circles and groups, Father. Let the fellowship be sweet and deep and rich as we experience the glory and love of Jesus Christ in our midst. We love you. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.